Hello, members, friends, and neighbors of Peace Lutheran Church in beautiful downtown Puyallup, Washington, to episode 36 of the Church's podcast in this time of COVID-19, together in the word on Pioneer and Third, where we are face-to-face with the challenge and promise of Scripture, even if we are six feet apart. Uh, Of course, Diane and I are much farther apart than six feet, but... Uh, little did we know that we would have to shut everything down again. Uh, so, but just uh, out of an abundance of caution, we're going to have our conversation today over the phone. My guest today is Diane Dean. Thanks for being on the podcast this week, Diane. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is great. Episode 36. That means it's been 36 weeks since we've been separate as a congregation, or at least physically separate. Uh, longer than any of us ever imagined, of course. Um, but uh, my gratitude to you, Diane, for for making some time for this and this conversation, which of course is not just a conversation with me, but uh, with all of our listeners too. Uh, so thank you for being here. I wonder if you'll start by just telling us a little bit about yourself, maybe share some insights into your life. And if you would also mention kind of what your connection with peace is and why you continue to be part of this community. Uh, I have been at peace for 22 years. I am a widow of four years with three children. My oldest son and his wife live in McConnor. My daughter and three of my grandchildren live in Spanaway and my youngest son and his wife live in Livingston, Montana. Uh, I serve on the church council at this time and a variety of uh, committees. One of my major, um, oh, I can't think of the word. Uh, Responsibilities. Responsibilities, thank you. Responsibilities is the compassionate ministries of the church. Yes. And it speaks so to my heart. Yes. If, if you are a member of peace and you've been through an illness or an injury or a procedure or you've lost someone you love or for a variety of other reasons, maybe you've had a birthday, uh, you've probably received a card in the mail from either Diane or from Amy, Diane's partner in that ministry. Um, Diane is, is a really reliable um, card writer and sender, and, and I just appreciate that ministry of yours, Diane. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't feel too much like a burden, but more like a joy. No, it is not a burden ever. Wonderful. It, it is a joy. That's and cool. we hear periodically from members of the congregation how much they it has meant to them. And some of the notes we get back are such a surprise because we don't think of them quite that way when we send them. And yet they touch those people's lives very strongly. I think it's it's true that a handwritten message, whether it's a message of sympathy or support or celebration, uh, has still has that power to connect. I mean, we we kind of think of the the ways in which we've become disconnected or or less easily connected, especially in this time uh, of physical separation during COVID. But uh, I still think that 
the a handwritten note has this kind of power to to really speak deeply to the heart. So, in any case, I really appreciate your work uh, in that area, and I I know the congregation does too. Well, we are now we are, we also have a contact group that is making sure that every member of our congregation that is isolated is contacted regularly, so that we know that they're okay. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's important. Um, the the greatest fear that I had uh, was that more people would be more isolated than we knew, uh, and and that not having an opportunity to occasionally rub elbows at church uh, would you know because even folks even folks who live alone traditionally have have many of many many of them have been able to come to church on a regular basis where where we get to see them and, and relate to them, but there are some who we might not have known would be more isolated during the time of COVID than, than they would like. So again, a really important ministry and, and um, uh, an opportunity, I suppose, for us to say that if there is someone you know of who is a member of our congregation who might be feeling especially disconnected or lonely, that you can get in contact with either me or with Diane directly and mention that to them, mention that to us, and, and we will we'll make a point to get in contact with them. We are also contacting people that need to be contacted that may not be members of peace, but of family and community that need, we can also do those as well. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so the the circle of care extends beyond the boundaries of our official congregation. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, that's really good. And and, uh, seemingly... Uh, appropriate for today's gospel. We'll get to, or this week's gospel. We'll get to that later. I do have a couple of questions for you, Diane, about COVID, since this is a ministry that was born in the time of COVID. I've been asking my guests two questions, one of which is kind of personal, and then the other one is more philosophical. The first question is simply, how are you doing? How are you making it through? Oh, I have gone the full gamut. During this COVID, I have unfortunately been hospitalized three times. I have very severe asthma. Very severe asthma and COVID act pretty much the same way. Yeah, yikes. And so originally I was zippered into a bubble room that was terrifying. They put cameras on you and all sorts of things. Uh, But I did not have COVID. I've been tested five times and haven't had it. and so I struggled with the physical aspects. Um, and then we went through the fires and we got evacuated because they were thought the building was going to burn down. So we got to go through that. Oh, my and, gosh. And, then, and now I am in a wonderful place because I am now sitting back. Everything seems to have gone nuts out there. I'm sitting back and watching instead of joining forces with anyone. <laughs> okay. So in that sense, isolation is like a breath of fresh air for you. Absolutely. And I've been able to do several projects that I've put off forever. And so I'm really feeling pretty good about it. Oh, I'm will... glad. Yeah, I... you're speaking to an experience I think that um, a couple of people have mentioned, uh, which, which you know may be surprising, but that, that um, there are upsides, I guess, would be a way to put it, or small mercies, maybe, uh, in this time that that many of us have experienced a range of emotions. Um, 
you know, deep, deep valleys and, and even, and now, you know, in your case, even, you know, a, a peak, you know, a peak experience of being um, somewhat at peace or, t- or taking advantage of an opportunity to, as you said, to, to complete some projects or to be, to become more comfortable being by ourselves. Uh, you know, I've heard that from people of all ages, actually, uh, that, that they're kind of living into this reality in a way that, you know, you're, you're able to get from one day to the next without despairing. And if anything, you know, it's kind of like a, a relief in some ways. Um, so anyway, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you're willing to speak to that aspect of the pandemic too. Many of us, um, you know, maybe some of us haven't gotten a chance to, to get to that place of, of some relative peace, peace of mind, but um, some of us have. So thanks for speaking to that. And, and it's been a phenomenal education. I never would have learned this much technologically without this event. Oh, Who knew I'd ever be on Zoom or podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, I'm, I'm treasuring the learning part of it as well. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, well, I mean... You know, it's it's been amazing. People in the church have sort of marveled, I think, especially those of us who are responsible for leading congregations, have just kind of marveled at the number of options we have. And it's been really difficult to reinvent the ministry and make it exclusively an online ministry for many of us. But the fact that we have these options is amazing. I mean, it, it, I, I often think of churches and communities during the 1918 uh, Spanish flu epidemic and and another global pandemic that uh, really shut life around the world down for, you know, a couple of years. And it's, you know, 102 years later, here we are, we're doing it again. But, but, you know, we have telephones and email and, you know, social networking and Zoom and podcasts, as you've mentioned, uh, that just a, a number of options available to us to try to stay connected and informed. So I'm grateful for that. And and the leadership of the congregation is so grateful to you. And we also are so concerned for you that having you as our pastor for five years, we know how you have been in situations such as life and death and sickness and weddings and funerals and on and on and now you have been separated from them and we know that that's got to hurt your heart yeah you thank you that's a very kind thing for you to say and and it is um it is true that uh i've been worried about other people feeling disconnected from the congregation but but i have too i I, you know I, i had one person say boy you know we get to see you every week uh, and I thought about that for a second and realized that that person was talking about our, our weekly live stream worship. And I realized, oh, I don't get to see you every week, right? I, I, look, yeah. into the, I look into the camera lens of a phone and uh, I'm super grateful for our you know, musical leadership and for, for Kyle who runs our, our technology during worship. Uh, and love to be around them on Sunday. And we formed a little, you know, a little team, I think, um, and, and an affinity for one another. But it is, it is, I am definitely missing that aspect of ministry, being, being able to be in proximity automatically to the, the, the members of the body of Christ in this place. It is, it's a grief. There's no doubt about it, as, as it, even as it is a grief for everyone else, too. Um, so thanks for acknowledging that. It, you know, I've, I've kind of settled into a rhythm, I think, in COVID, um, as dissatisfying sometimes as, 
exclusively online ministry is, it it can also be it can also be a gift, even even to me, uh, to have that those opportunities to try to connect. So anyway, thank you. Appreciate your affirmation. You know, one of the things we don't know. Do you have some support from other pastors who are living this like you are living this? Yeah, that's a good question. Thank you. That's really helpful. Obviously, I'm a solo pastor here at Peace, but I do have multiple connections with pastors in the region and across the country, actually. I, I have two regional groups with whom I relate, one of whom, one of which is a, a group of Lutheran pastors exclusively who have about my level of experience, are about my age, spread out through the South Sound. Uh, and, and we... Um, we were put together as a, a sort of a, a mutual support group and, and um, uh, study and prayer uh, through a synod initiative. Uh, and that group is still meeting online. We still, in fact, I spoke with them yesterday and we all kind of laughed together and, and related to one another. And, and that was a gift. I also have a weekly text study that I'm a part of that's centered in Tacoma um, at the Tacoma Urban Peacemaking Center, which is part of a ministry called Street Psalms. And that's an ecumenical group of pastors of all ages, different denominations, who gather weekly to look at the upcoming gospel text and, and to think about how to how to preach through the lens of peacemaking. And that's become a really wonderful support to me, too. So I have at least two regular connections. And then, of course, I have friends from seminary who are spread across the country who I connect to occasionally. So, yes, I, I have... Uh, support. I have people I can talk to who kind of know what it's like, what you know, what what, what we're going through in this time as the church, and, and we can have thoughtful conversations about that. Thanks. I appreciate you asking me that too. Good. Hey, that second question about COVID I want to ask you is kind of a, as I said, sort of a bigger picture question. Uh, it's a question about hope. Um, I, you know, I've always I've always reflected on COVID nineteen and and thought about it as a, a, a time of crisis in which we collectively can either, our best can come out or our worst can come out or maybe both. Uh, but imagine with me for a moment that we are past the age of COVID someday. And somehow what we've learned about ourselves in this time has brought, has brought the best out of us in one way or another. If you could cast a vision for how we might uh, actually become better as a result of COVID. And you can, you can interpret that however you want, either as a congregation or as a community or as a nation. How might we, how might this crisis bring the best out of us? I would hope that we would not forget how much we depended on each other, mm. how much we needed each other, and not to lose connection. Yeah. To make sure that we continue that, continue caring as much as we are caring. There is always going to be the hatefulness, the evilness, the whatever. Those, I think, are just byproducts of life. But for all of us to just see what God has given us through this, Mm -hmm. is not all bad. Amen. Yeah, co connectedness, uh, mutual dependence. Yes. Uh, funny, again, related to our gospel uh, for this coming Sunday, the last Sunday of the liturgical year, Christ the King. 
Um, maybe we'll maybe we'll come back to that. that. That's a theme I've heard over and over again. Um, can we can we remember can we remember this time as a time where we learned how much we needed each other? Uh, and, and at the time when we were most separate, perhaps suddenly we realized how important it was. I like to think of not only frontline healthcare workers, but I think of uh, service industry workers on whom we relied so heavily to continue to supply us with the things we need to survive groceries, uh, you know, books and media, all the other things that show up at our door or that we, you know, we find stocked on grocery store shelves. I've thought of those people as emergency workers, right? And and uh, we certainly owe them a debt of gratitude. Can we can we get beyond this time and acknowledge how much we need even strangers, perhaps strangers we haven't uh, acknowledged uh, in the past? I don't know. I love that. That that's a that is one of my my most uh, cherished hopes too. The second half of our podcast, Diane, has always been a study of this week's gospel, and I've already alluded to it twice. Maybe we should just go ahead and go there, huh? We should. Okay. Um, We'll read the gospel for this coming Sunday, Christ the King Sunday. Uh, And then we have three questions that we use in Bible study at peace to kind of open the text up for ourselves. Um, And I'll let you know what those are as soon as I'm done reading. The Gospel this week, Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of the liturgical year, is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Amen. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, the, the three questions. This is a pretty familiar uh, text. It comes right at the end of Jesus' last discourse before the uh, passion narrative begins. It's kind of Jesus' last word, his last story, if you will. Um, our questions that we use, and again, these aren't to uh, wrap up the text with a pretty bow. Rather, they're to open up our, our minds, our imaginations, to get at what's, what's deep there in the text. And, and they are as follows. The first is simply, this time around, what did you notice? What stood out to you? And it could be a word or a phrase or a, an image or an idea. The second question is, what questions do you have? Is there something that troubles you or something you don't understand? And the, the reminder I always give is that it's not a question that you necessarily have to answer. It's just one that might uh, lead us to better questions. Uh, and then the last question we ask of the Bible is, what will you take for today? If the word is living and active, how is it living in you? And how will it act on you? What do you think? Should we start with that first question? Certainly. So this time, this again, this is a really familiar text for people who have heard it over and over again. Uh, w this time through, what stands out to you? This is how I live my life. This is how I have always lived my life. I, my husband and I took in 125 foster kids. We took care of his brother when he was dying and sick. We took we take I take care of people constantly. I strive to live this text. It is one of my very most favorite. And <clears throat> I find a great deal of joy in this text. And just on a side note, that's kind of funny. The prison thing. Yes. My husband would never let me go to the prison ministry. Oh, yeah. He kept saying I'd bring someone home. <laughs> Yeah, they won't let you do that. Don't worry. No, and he wouldn't let me have a pen pal there or anything. So the prison thing was out, but the rest of it was good. Interesting. Uh, That's an yeah. interesting observation, yeah. Yeah, and so um, the troubles I have with this is I have a great deal of trouble saying no. Mm. And knowing when is enough, is there ever enough? When have I gone too far? When have I not gone far enough? And I struggle with that constantly. Uh, I, when I drive and I see people on the side of the road, it's like, well, now, I can't really just throw money at every person I see. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. But, but what do I do and how do I figure out what to do that serves in the best possible way? Wow, you've just offered a really interesting uh answer to that second question that we ask, which is what questions do you have? And, and what you're asking the question of boundaries, incredibly important. If Jesus is present to us in every human need that we come across in the face of every stranger with a, a request or with a need in the, in the face of every friend who has a need for a listening ear or a helping hand, how on earth are we supposed to know when to say no? When, at what point do we have to establish and maintain a healthy boundary? That is a really, really hard question to answer. And I'm not very good at it. Well, so, so some of us err on the side of establishing too strict a boundary. No, I never speak to anyone who appears to be unsheltered because I don't know if they are safe or not. Okay, that's probably too harsh of a boundary, right? That, that's going to prevent us from encountering Christ. On the other hand, 
some of us err on the side of having too soft of a boundary, in which case we put ourselves in a position to burn out or to become ineffective simply because we are compassion fatigued or any number of risks that might come along with that. So the question of establishing and maintaining a boundary is not a question of do you love or care for people or not? It's a question of how best to love and care for people. I mean, it's the old put your own oxygen mask on before you put on a loved one's oxygen mask on a plane mm-hmm. if there's a loss of pressure, right? You have There is something to be said for um, the ministry of, of attending to Christ as a sort of a marathon event, not a, not a sprint, right? So, so how best to be in good condition, right, in, in, in good shape for that marathon. I think there's something to that. I mean, even, even Jesus himself acknowledges, and he, he you know, quotes a, a passage from the Hebrew scriptures to say, the, you know, the poor you will always have with you. And the, the, the uh, implication there is not that we always have them with us, so we should never do anything. The, the implication there is you're going to be overwhelmed by the amount of need that you see. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, you know, what, what do we have to do in order to take care of ourselves such that we can take care of Christ when he comes into our midst? Yes, and I'm seeing during this COVID thing, I'm seeing so many, you know, you, you hear about all of the people who are applying for unemployment and they're losing their jobs, they're losing businesses, and, and the need just seems to be growing yes potentially yes and and so it's where where can i best well yeah you know right and it can be overwhelming quickly right and so the one one temptation of course is to just retreat and say well never mind you know there's no real difference that i can make after all so I might as well just retreat. And then again, the opposite temptation is to try to do too much and then to overextend yourself and to despair because there is no way you can meet every need, certainly, of course. But that doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities at every juncture to encounter Christ in, in the midst of human need and in loving service to the neighbor. You're absolutely right. So there's a balance there. And each person has to know what their own gifts are in, in relation to the needs that they encounter. The, the, there's no permission to ignore the needs of the stranger or the friend for that matter. But there's also no obligation that we, uh, there's no obligation that we uh, burn ourselves out so quickly that we're not available in the future. Yes, and I am so grateful my children have no loss of job. Oh, thank goodness. And in fact, all three of them have just been promoted. Oh, wonderful, so okay. my children are in wonderful positions, so that leaves me not having to worry about them. Well, that's true, yeah. And, that's, and that feels really good so that I can look outward. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so... Uh, you want to know what I noticed this time through? What? So this... This is, you know, the only description in the Bible of the last judgment. And it is, it's not a parable, but it has a narrative quality to it. It's a description, but it has a very narrative, imaginative quality to it. Whether it's the metaphor of the sheep and the goats, or whether it's the image of the king 
because of course Christ is king here at the end of time, uh, it's really um, it's really kind of repetitive. If you notice, if you you know, there's a lot of repetitive language, so there's almost a kind of a poetic quality to it. The thing that I noticed this time is that both those who are identified as righteous, the sheep, so to speak, and those who have neglected their neighbors, and Jesus knows it, right? He's the one, the ones at the left, the, the goats. Both of them say exactly the same thing in response to Jesus' judgment. They say, when was it that we saw you? Neither the goats nor the sheep apparently were aware that when they were either tending to the needs of their neighbors or neglecting to tend to the needs of their neighbors, neither group was fully aware that it was Christ to whom they were attending. Which is interesting because it kind of puts us on level footing, right? The, the implication there is you can't walk around assuming you're doing everything right. Like, who knows? Maybe I'm, maybe I missed something I shouldn't have missed. Or what it does is it prevents us from judging each other. It gives us no basis to judge because after all, of course, the king is the judge. The king is the one who is separating the sheep from the goats. And if I don't really know that the people to whom I offer love are Christ to me, and if those who miss an opportunity to love those in their midst uh, are also not aware that that's Christ whom they've missed, then neither of us can really evaluate the other person's ministry, right? Neither of us can really say, hey, I, I'm good. You're a goat, man. I'm a sheep. Uh, which, which is like liberating for me because it means that I don't have to worry about the judgment piece. All I have to do is worry about patterning my life after Christ in such a way that kind of mercy comes naturally or love comes naturally. Who knows when it's Jesus, right? It could be anybody. Uh, but nonetheless, the righteous are those who act with mercy and love, even though, even though they don't recognize Christ in that interaction. That to me is just striking this time through. Uh, so you've also offered us a question that this text raises for you. I wonder if I might ask a question too. Yes. The, the, I, it, I, in a way, I love this text like you do. In a way, it uh, really bothers me because yeah. Lutherans are especially insistent on the grace of God. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Uh, there's nothing I can do to earn it. It's just God's loving parental role to shower me with love and forgiveness and give me the gift of faith and hope. And if love comes out of that, then wonderful. But this is not an especially gracious passage in that way. Uh, it seems to me that according to this depiction of the Last Judgment, that we're all on the hook for what we either have accomplished or what we haven't. Uh, and it makes me wonder what role grace plays in this passage. And I don't know that I have a good answer for that, to be honest with you. Um, people have given different answers for how to reconcile this passage with some of Paul's beautiful language about grace as a gift. Um, but in Matthew, it certainly seems like whether or not we conform our lives to the love of Christ really does have kind of eternal implications. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? I don't think grace excuses us. 
I think because we have grace, we must do this. Ah, amen. The, the love comes down and it's our job to pass it along. Yes, that's a wonderful way to think about it. So this this is, that's the Lutheran, by the way, that's the Lutheran interpretation, not surprisingly, that uh, that we don't, we don't reach out to our neighbors in love. We don't pray for our enemies and bless those who curse us because we think we're doing what we need to do to get into God's good graces. We do it because God has already loved us more than we deserve to be loved. God has already forgiven God's enemies. Uh, and so uh, we do it because it, it just overflows, you know, like, like the cup that God has filled. It overflows to others naturally. That I that I think is a really wonderful um, angle on it. It does make me wonder what's what's this language of of eternal punishment? What's this language of uh, unrighteousness being earned? Um, does it mean that God reserves the right to judge some uh, without grace in the end? Does it mean that grace is kind of provisional, or does this parable not necessarily shut the door on the possibility? that God might choose to be gracious and merciful, even in spite of our failures. Well, I've sort of looked at that with, thank goodness I'm not the judge. Yeah, amen. Right, yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, okay. certainly we're not in a position to decide who is in and who is out. That's true. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, thank goodness for that. You know, it's interesting. So the 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 one answer that i kind of came to for that question this time through came from a commentator that i read and i thought this was really helpful uh that this this story or this depiction of the last judgment is uh, what he calls a diagnostic tool and i think that's helpful it's like a it's like a barometer to t- or a, or a, or a thermometer for our our life of faith and so here's the quote uh, this is from a commentator by the name of Lindsay P. Armstrong in a resource called Feasting on the Word. The image of the Son of Man one day separating sheep and goats is a diagnostic tool designed to inspire faithfulness, root out self-centered living, and help each of us measure who and where we are as we grow in the likeness of Christ. It's like a it's like an attitude adjustment, right? It's like a, a gut check. Oh boy, you know, would I, in this moment, do I think of myself as a sheep or a goat or maybe both? Lutherans, of course, believe that we're all both goats and sheep at the same time. But I like that image of diagnostic tool. It's like a, it's like an annual exam uh, to yeah. determine how well we are in the life of, of Christ. And, and I think that's actually a really helpful way of looking at this, this particular scripture. It is. So it's it not is. prescriptive. It's descriptive. That would be another way of putting it. It, it gives you an idea of how you feel about your own life of faith, um, faith, hope, and love at any given moment. It doesn't necessarily uh, tie God's hands, so to speak, that this is how God has to act in the end because of this scripture, um, which I think is a helpful way. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't in any way uh, lessen the impact of that image of judgment. I mean, I always like to say that God reserves the right to judge, period, and, and thank God that that judgment is merciful. But uh, this is one of those passages where, where judgment is clearly, very much clearly part of God's character. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Diane, for th- that's, this is a rich conversation. I wonder if we might spend a little bit of time with that last question, which in some ways, I guess, is a question that we ask of all Holy Scripture, 
if um, if the word becomes flesh and lives among us, then we can expect Holy Scripture to also kind of take flesh in our lives and, and interpret our lives in, in helpful, life-giving ways. So if this word is living and active in your life today, how is it living and how is it acting upon you? I am a giver. I like being able to interact with people on a number of different ways. I find this, all of this scripture very hopeful and will continue to strive to live as Christ would have me live. Amen. That's a wonderful uh, testimony. Thank you. Um, I want to share with you uh, a story by way of answering that third question. And it's a story from Gregory the Great, who is one of the great church fathers. Uh, and he told a story in a sermon that I think is a really powerful way to get at uh, something that's going on in this passage. But I want to do it uh, by telling you a story. It's a story that I had never heard until I read it this week in my study. And that'll be, that'll be my answer to the third question. I'll just leave the story hanging and, and everyone can kind of take, take it uh, for what it means for them. Uh, again, from Gregory the Great. There lived a certain monk of very venerable life named Martyrius, who on one occasion went to visit another monastery. On his way, he met a certain leper whose members were all afflicted with elephantiasis, who was trying to return to his dwelling, but could not through weakness. His house, he said, was on the road along which Martyrius was going. The man of God had compassion on the weakness of the poor leper, and so he spread his own cloak upon the ground and placing the leper upon it, wrapped him securely in the cloak and lifting his upon his shoulders, brought him along with him. As soon as Martyrius reached the entrance of the monastery, the man he thought was a leper leaped down from his shoulders and Jesus Christ, true God and true man, appearing in that form in which the redeemer of humankind was known on earth, returned again to heaven. And when the holy man went into the monastery, the abbot said to him, Brother Martyrius, where is he you were carrying? Martyrius answered, Had I known who it was, I would have held him by the feet. And he told him, he told them that while he was carrying him, he had felt no weight. And it is not to be wondered at that he could not feel his weight who upheld him whom was who was carrying him. Had I known who it was, I would have held him by the feet. I guess that's all I'll say in response to that third question, uh, the, the, the dignity, the fundamental dignity of every human person, the likeness of Christ in every human person. Thank you, Diane Dean, my guest on episode 36 of Together in the Word on Pioneer and Third, our congregation's weekly podcast. I deeply appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. And thanks to all of you for listening. Until next week.